he got the bright idea that if he could transship cocaine from an intermediate place between Colombia and the United States, he could move much, much larger quantities. Using the money from his deals with Young, Leda has transformed the peaceful island. There was a short landing strip that could accommodate small aircraft, but he wanted it to be used to smuggle large loads of cocaine from Colombia. So he expanded it to a thousand meters, which would accommodate, you know, very large aircraft. Cocaine shipments arriving from Colombia are transferred to light aircraft, which take off for the short flight to Florida. Later makes sure they slip into US airspace unseen. Commercial flights were leaving and they were piggybacking underneath these commercial flights and avoiding radar. He, he was himself a pilot. He hired the best pilots. Very intelligent in telling anybody how to build a, a, a flight plan that can be radar proof. Very intelligent in scrambling radio frequencies so nobody can listen to our conversation. The drug pilots head for secret landing sites. These uh, planes were landing on clandestine airstrips out in the Everglades. They would throw duffel bags of cocaine out to waiting counterparts who would then get the cocaine, jump in vehicles and drive off, and then the plane would just take off again. Things on Norman's Key remained status quo for a few years, with Jack overseeing maintenance on the island and keeping an eye on things whenever Carlos wasn't around. Numerous pilots came and went, including infamous names like Barry Seal and British Andy. Most days found Jack relaxing in his hammock near the beach, where he would photograph the planes coming and leaving the island. It was Jack's way of keeping tabs on the shipments and the planes that carried them. Well, there have been many myths about what was happening on the island, especially regarding armed security and intimidation tactics. May Kay's research disputes that. It was overblown. They did yeah. have security. And I did ask Jack a lot, but what about this and that? There's a story about a boat floating offshore with dead tourists in it, blood everywhere. He says, bullshit. No, but there was no reason to hurt anybody or do anything. You know, probably the worst thing was that Carlos was nonviolent on the island, very friendly, very charismatic, but he did have a German bodyguard who maybe took his job too seriously and maybe scared a lot of people. But so I'm sure that there were guns and uh, we're going to hear about a couple uh, from Canada that were neighbors to Jack and Sheldon who were invited to come down to Norman's Key and they had no idea what Jack did for a living. They just came down for a vacation. And when they got off the plane, um, there were guards with guns and a Doberman Pinscher. And they thought, oh, what, what's going on here? Yeah. And the guards just said, who are you here to see? And they said, we're guests of Mr. Jack Reed. And they go, just a minute. And they walkie-talkied. And they said, okay, proceed. You can get off the plane. And then Jack came and picked them up. So yeah, there was security, but the people who lived there or who visited there or were part of the operation, you know, basically said it was just fun times. They were young people and bikinis and having picnics and beach parties and snorkeling and diving. It was an island paradise. And unless you knew what was really going on, you wouldn't notice it. Jack would also leave the island occasionally. 
and British Columbia was one of his favorite escapes. He was looking to purchase a home in British Columbia when he befriended the Canadian couple who shall remain anonymous and mentioned above. Here's their conversation with May Kay about their friendship with Jack. I met Jack through working through my boss and we originally met Ed Haynes Ward mm. and uh, never met his wife, but I did take messages from her. Uh, they purchased property and they were gone in a short time and it was after that that uh, Jack walked in the office and asked us to, again, acquire a couple of properties for him. Um, he was, uh, we assisted Jack as best we could uh, for these purchases. We did quite a bit of running around and my first impression with him was he was such a gentleman, always pleasant and he was real easy to, to deal with. Uh, throughout the time that we met him in those that year and a half, uh, he would come into the office. We would um, just chat about things. He'd ask me about the area. And uh, we really got to know him so much so that between my boss and myself and Jack, we would, and my husband, we would go out there, have a barbecue. He would come to my house. We had quite a friendship going. Um, I will say this he was an unusual character and but he really treated people decent. Um, he had unusual ways, like he walked in the office one day with a suitcase and asked me to guard, uh, take care of it. He didn't say guard it, he said, would you take care of this while I do some shopping? Mm. Come back a few hours later, and it was, he opened it up, and my boss was there, and I, and little did I know, this thing was full of money. Wow. And it was how he was making his purchases, right? It was all cash on the line. Um, this wasn't really totally, it was weird. It was different for us, for sure. But at a time where our area was becoming quite invaded with tourism, people buying properties for summer homes, very large, fancy properties, it wasn't totally unheard of. Okay. Um, it is my understanding that most of the time that Jack and his friend came and goo. Uh, came and went, so to speak. He flew in a private lane to the airport close to us. Um, as time passed, uh, he was absent from the property more and more, and he asked my husband and my boss to each share. He had two properties. He asked them to, to take care of it in his absence. What, what did happen when he was away, and even when he was home, actually, and I'm trying to recall why he he didn't have a phone but anyway I, I can't remember honestly but he did say people would phone and would I pass on messages uh, the messages were never a message but rather phone phone me kind oh, of thing. oh. and I, I'd keep notes of that and then when I heard from him I would never seek him out he would come and say are there any messages and I would tell him but I kept a list of who it was and one was Ed Ward Mm. And then there was a Joe. And then from reading all the transcripts in your book. Right, uh, right. Joe was Carlos. Exactly. There was also a, there was a Barry Seal. Yes. There was a Diane Helen Thornhill. Yes, yes. And there was wow. another pilot, Blumel. Yes, Stephen Blumel. Um, yes, right. Yeah, and, and there, were, there were others. But, interesting, uh, interesting. 1981... Uh, Jack wanted to show his appreciation to us uh, for our friendship and like we never received any funds for doing the extras. I mean, he was paid for 
per, uh, doing legal work and post buying properties, but we never received any cash or anything. Uh, but he was such a neat guy, and he asked if we'd go to Norman's K with him, and he arranged for everything. We spent the first night in Nassau. He picked us up. Uh, we were picked up by his friend at Norm uh, at the uh, airport, and then they flew us to Norman's K. That was, uh, I, I can read you actually, <laughs> once we landed, we were met by two huge guard dogs and two men with machine guns. Oh, it took goodness. our breath away and we wondered what we were into. Because when I look at my notes, like it was obvious it was something to do with drugs. I, 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 I do admit that. Okay. But never, never. It was 10 years later when I first read and was searching the internet because about every few years I would... I never heard from him after a while and, right, and right. just wanted to know what he was about. And it was in 19, uh, 1990 or something, I actually found the papers of the court trial. Mm-hmm. And then it was when I read your book, and it was quite astounding because in all of this, he was just an eccentric gentleman with a lot of money. Right, and right. And a very good time on Norman's K. Wow. Uh, we were treated, I've got here the best food and wine. He treated us like royalty. They flew us to Nassau halfway. We were only there five days, and he flew us to Nassau, the women, for a, a shopping trip, lunch. Like, it was It was just an, an incredible holiday. Was there okay. anything odd that happened on the island? I know, obviously, the Dobermans and the and the guards, and they didn't let you off the plane until they knew you were there visiting Jack. Were you allowed to take right. Were you allowed to take pictures? Were you allowed to meet anybody? Tell me about that. Uh, I, I'll, I'll I'll let my husband answer one of those questions. Okay, but, we need to hear from uh, Art. We yes, told, we were told they didn't want pictures taken. And when we toured the island, I mean, we'd go to one beach one time. He did show us a plane in one of the beaches that uh, what what uh, that had uh, gone down. Uh, but there were guards. It seemed like anywhere we were, there was somebody who knew where we were. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but my, I never met anybody uh, other than taking the plane to Nassau to go shopping. Uh, I myself never met anyone, but I'll let my husband speak okay. about what he witnessed. Okay? Thank you, dear. Thank you. Do you okay. have anything you want to say? Um, you've said some lovely things, some interesting things, the great stories. Anything you want to add before we say goodbye? I would like to say one thing. In all the dealings that we had with Jack in Canada and on Norman Kay, there's one thing that Jack never ever did he never tried to force drugs on us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He asked us if we smoked he asked me if i wanted to smoke marijuana with him and I, because i was a non-smoker marijuana or cigarettes i'd never smoked in my life mm-hmm. i said no, thank you and when we were on norman Bay, we were asked if we wanted to have a sniff of cocaine which we turned down we didn't want to to do it and mm-hmm. I said that's fine that that's your thing but nothing was ever forced on good good to he know wanted to use it and Jack never ever tried or asked us to do anything that was illegal the one day that we were there there was Bill and his wife and I went to the and we were walking along the road and this uh, 
black limousine pulled up beside us and uh and uh oh and before i say this one thing that jack said is that if you people are out for a walk and a vehicle stops he said they will people will talk to you he said do not bend down and try and see who's in the vehicle he said just ask the court answer the question mm. and this is this limousine pulled up beside us and uh this fellow was sitting on the far side of the limousine and he was asking how we like Norman's K and how we were going our holiday and and if Jack was treating us well and we said yes and the fellow was very very pleasant and everything else and we actually found out after from Jack that that was Carlos that was in the limousine and he was touring the island mm. just going around he seemed those are the only times that we had any conversation with him but he seemed to be a very nice man if you listen to the government's description of crazy charlie later they describe him as evil incarnate he's a hitler loving lunatic the henry ford of drug trafficking who would kill anyone who got in his way he was an og original gangster one of the biggest cocaine bosses and gangsters ever. He was really the Henry Ford of drug smuggling. He turned it into a very serious business. He was like a, uh, uh, a young entrepreneur, the kind of entrepreneurs we see in Silicon Valley uh, today. Boeing pioneered the massive movement of people around the planet. Carlos Leather pioneered the massive movement of cocaine from Colombia. Carlos Leder earned the nickname, the Colombian Rambo. He was hiding out in the jungles of South America, excommunicated from his partners, cut off from the world and bowing a fight to the end. Indicted three separate times on a litany of narcotics and conspiracy charges. U.S. authorities say at the height of his reign, he brought in more than 18 million tons of cocaine in 24 months. I don't think you'll find another character in the history of the drug trade that's more interesting. You have been accused of being a Nazi. Is that a crime? Not in Colombia. Before we go any further, as a Jewish guy, I'm obviously not here to say that being a fan of Adolf Hitler is a good thing. But when you dig into Later's family history, it's also not shocking. His father, Wilhelm, was a Nazi supporter who immigrated from Germany to Colombia shortly before World War II, as did a number of Nazi sympathizers in the years that followed. Doesn't make it right, but it's understandable as he was raised by his German father. There's no question that Carlos revolutionized the drug smuggling game and was one of the biggest traffickers of his generation. But the myth that later was a violent murderer seems to be just that, a myth. Even during his drug trial with 30 cooperating witnesses testifying against him, the government was unable to pin any violent acts on Carlos later. 
you know, George said to me that, you know, obviously he and Carlos had this falling out. And of course, George testified against Carlos and Jack. Um, but they didn't like each other long, long before that. But George had had a change of heart and, and allegedly really cared for Carlos. And mm -hmm. he told me that on many occasions over the years. We knew each other for about 10, 12 years. So over the years, he kept telling me that. And he said that Carlos was not violent and that a lot of the um, propaganda out there about him that the media uh, keeps regurgitating wasn't true. That the Carlos he knew was not violent. Um, and I'll just never forget that. I found holes in the research and, and holes where they blamed Carlos for a lot of um, crap Pablo Escobar did. Now sure. look, we know Pablo Escobar's a monster. I'm not defending anybody. <laughs> I don't know what Carlos did after he went to the jungle in Colombia. I don't know if he came cocaine crazed and went nuts and hurt people. I, I don't know that, but he wasn't violent before that. And his crimes that he was tried for in Norman's Key, the transporting of, of cocaine, the conspiracy, the people that were involved with that, his friends who I interviewed and got to know, and including George said, he was not violent. Mm -hmm. He wasn't violent. It was actually a situation Carlos later decided to handle non-violently that alongside with another incident would lead to the downfall of the Norman's Key operation. Ed Ward and his group of drug smugglers who Carlos had allowed to stay on Norman's Key were starting to not only cause problems on the island, but they were starting to attract the attention of law enforcement in Jacksonville, Florida. I went out and uh, began a surveillance and started looking at these guys. The first guy identified was uh, Ernest von Eberstein, and he had a criminal record. And uh, von Eberstein went to uh, kind of a real nice neighborhood in uh, Orange Park and uh, went and met with his brother, Greg von Eberstein, who lived on the street. I was following him around, and that led me to uh, uh, one of their friends and neighbors and a guy who they were involved with named uh, Ed Ward. I was going and watching this group of people at various times of the day. I could tell they weren't, they weren't getting up in the morning and going to a job. They were all driving really nice cars, had really nice houses, and almost all these guys uh, were flying airplanes. They had their own airplanes. I'm not here to promote violence, but this is the point of the story where most violent drug kingpins would give Edward and his crew the old dirt nap to keep them quiet. Correct? Apparently Later's head of island security was thinking along those lines as well. But what does Carlos Later do? Here's May Kay. The Colombian chief of security and a German bodyguard. They could be intimidating. And, and Jack does tell stories of how they wanted Carlos to, hey, look, why don't you give us permission? We're going to get rid of these people because they're causing trouble. And one of them was Ed Ward. Ed Ward, he ran a smuggling operation on the island before Carlos and Jack showed up. And they ended up, you know, testifying against Carlos and Jack and really causing problems. And, and they got to be a bit of a problem. And the security guard, you know, this German said, look, let me just take care of them. And Carlos said, no, no. He paid him money and said, you know, go. 
just go, just get out and go. Here's some money. Other little small-time smugglers would try to do this or that, and if they tried to cause problems, he'd give them money. One had a wife that was screwing everybody on the island and causing problems, and he says, get your wife out of here. (laughs) Here's some money. Don't ever come back. But he wasn't going to kill anybody or, or do any violence. That decision by Carlos, while unquestionably the right thing to do morally, would have devastating effects to both Later and Jack Reed down the road. We will dive much deeper into Ed Ward and his snitching band of cohorts in a later episode. Another of the inhabitants at Norman's Key would also have a devastating legal effect in the government's case against Carlos and Jack. Remember when I randomly brought up Norman, the golden retriever in a previous episode? Well, Jack's love for Norman would accidentally lead the feds to the most damaging evidence the government would use to prosecute him and Carlos down the road. Sounds crazy, right? Well, I'll let Steven Weinbaum and legendary Miami defense attorney Ed Showhat, Jack and Carlos' lawyers in the drug trial, pick up the story from here. To me, one of the great stories that comes out of the case, how Norman the dog took down the Medellin cartel. Yeah, Jack, Jack Reed went on. Uh took his dog he took his dog not to not to alabama ed thought it was up from in auburn alabama but it was actually starkville mississippi the home of mississippi state bulldogs he took his dog there norman because norman had uh worm heartworms and the guy was reputed to have you know be the best in the country for heartworms and stuff and jack was in in uh in the money in those days so he brought the damn dog. He and Michelle brought the dog there, met the vet. I think his name was Greg Strickland. Uh, the guy took care of Norman and cured him. And while they were there, Jack stuck the damn suitcase into like a bus locker or a train locker or whatever. And he didn't know he was being followed at that point by DEA agents who were surveilling the airport when he came in and one of them recognized him. But eventually the... the um, the government got that suitcase and the photographs in there were just staggering. It, it almost was a pictorial history of, of, of the case, complete with photographs of money and drugs and sex. It was incredible. Um, and there was another illustration of the government's power. Those, uh, the search warrant that the government used to get into Jack's locker and into his suitcase was was ridiculously pathetic, had said nothing, nothing that in normal circumstances would have persuaded a judge that he, that you have probable cause to think somebody uh, is committing a crime there and didn't matter. I mean, Jack had a picture of every plane in and every plane out, an old, an old time Polaroid camera. You can just hear, you can just hear the camera pushing out that photo at the bottom of the camera every time John did, shaking it in the air, throwing it in the briefcase and going back to his hammock. And Norman, I have told people, John, through the years, that it was Norman the dog, Jack Reed's dog, that brought down the Medellin cartel. And I, I believe that to a degree it's true. It's a little hyperbole, but it, to a degree, to a degree it's it's true because no uh, set of exhibits, of physical exhibits, was more important to that trial than the photographs that, and, and half-assed, if you will, ledgers that were found 
inside Jack's briefcase that he let left behind at the veterinarian's office. Things were beginning to get a little uncomfortable on Norman's Key, with periodic raids forewarned by the Bahamian government, of course, and becoming more frequent. But with the heat right around the corner, shout out to Neil McCauley and Heat for that line, Jack and Carlos were soon scouting for their next stop. The honeymoon period had definitely come to an end on Norman's Key. They'd eventually end up in Colombia, where things would go from bad to worse. Next time on Glamour Profession. <laughs> 